Well, today we are back after a week off, <coughs> jumping into 2 Samuel 15. And so, um, <coughs> just real quick, who would like to, morning, who would like to tell us what has been leading up to 2 Samuel 15? What is, what is going on in Israel during this time? <coughs> David's king. Okay. <coughs> David's king. Okay. He's finally gotten to the point where he's assumed rule over all of Israel. David is king over all Israel. When we say all of Israel, what do we mean by all? All the 12 tribes. Yep. 12 tribes. Yep, yep, yep. So if we draw a map. Oops. Okay, so this would be roughly... Nope, that's not going to happen. Trash for you. This. Okay. Let's do. All right. Let's do. Hmm. Yeah, Dead Sea. Yeah, Sea of Galilee, which is it'll be called that. A few centuries. Jerusalem. What is taking you so long? I know. He's still in vacation mode. Yeah. Hebron. <laughs> I invite help. If you'd like to try this. I'm guessing. Let's do. That's probably good enough for now. So. We should make you like an overlay or something like that. Yeah. Perfect. Overhead projector. I'll bring my overhead from 1982 and my plastic <laughs> sheets that my math teacher used to use. Get a little hook, pull the screen down. So here is the nation of Israel, modern day, it's called Israel today. In the period it was called Canaan, um, but at this point it's becoming the nation of Israel because now we have a kingdom of 12 tribes which have allotted land all throughout this region. <clears throat> what is the... Keep going. You're doing good here. What is what else is going on in Israel at this time? <laughs> They're in battle well, pretty much all the time. Yep, <clears throat> constant warfare. That's a good one. Against who? Philistines. Philistines. All the all the Eans. All the Eans. <laughs> Amia. Yeah, think of Ammonites, um, uh, Moabites, Edomites, Amalekites. Up here is Aram, which is also called Syria. So all of the neighbors of Israel and the Philistines. They brought in the, the ark. Yep, okay, to where? That was Hebron. Was it Hebron? Where is it now? It's in Jerusalem. It's in yeah. Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the capital. And the Ark is there. Yep. There's okay. a lot of unrest yeah. amongst the people, just yep. amongst the king's family. Why? Why is there unrest? Thank you. You're welcome. Why the king's family? Simply. Sin. Yeah. <clears throat> Rest. There's sin in um, 
the let's just say the house of David. Mm-hmm. With Bathsheba. Yeah. They've had adultery, um, murder. Had murder. Pretty much because God said there would be unrest. Yeah. If you do this. Yep. Yep. <coughs> yep. Yep. Maybe a period of stability has given way to instability. <coughs> Let's pick up and read, given all of that. Chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15. Who would like to read the entire thing, which is 1 to 37 for me today? I can. Thanks. After this, Absalom got a chariot and horses for himself. So, just one moment. One moment. One more thing. Who is Absalom? David's son. David's son. His firstborn? No. Okay, go ahead. After this, Absalom got a chariot and horses for himself and 50 men to run before him. Absalom would get up early and stand near the city gate. Anyone who had a problem for the king to settle would come here. When someone came, Absalom would call out and say, What city are you from? The person would answer, I'm from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, Look, Your claims are right, but the king has no one to listen to you. Absalom would also say, I wish someone would make me judge in this land. Then people with problems could come to me, and I could help them get justice. People would come near Absalom to bow to him. When they did, Absalom would reach out his hand and take a hold of them and kiss them. Absalom did that to all the Israelites who came to King David for decision. In this way, Absalom stole the hearts of all of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to King David, Please let me go to Hebron. I want to carry out my promise that I made to the Lord while I was living in Geshur and Aram. I said, If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship him in Hebron. The king said, Go in peace. So Absalom went to Hebron, but he sent secret messengers through all the tribes of Israel. They told the people, When you hear the trumpets, say this, Absalom is king at Hebron. Absalom had invited 200 men to go with him. So they went from Jerusalem with him, but they didn't know what he was planning. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithopel, one of the people who advised David, to come from his hometown of Gilo. So Absalom's plans were working very well. More and more people began to support him. A messenger came to David saying, the Israelites are giving their loyalty to Absalom. Then David said to all his officers who were with him in Jerusalem, we must leave quickly if we don't. We won't be able to get away from Absalom. We must hurry before he catches us and destroys us and kills the people of Jerusalem. The king's officers said to him, We will do anything you say. So the king set out with everyone in his house, but he left ten slave women to take care of the palace. The king left with all his people following him, and they stopped at a house far away. All the king's servants passed by him, the Carathites and the Pelethites, all those from Gath, and the six hundred men who had followed him. <clears throat> the king said to Atai, a man from Gath, why are you also going with us? Turn back and stay with King Absalom, because you are a foreigner. This is not your homeland. You joined me only a short time ago. Should I make you wander with us when I don't even know where I'm going? Turn back and your, take your brothers with you. May kindness and loyalty be shown to you. But Aitai said to the king, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will stay with you whether it means life or death. David said to Aitai, Go, march on. So Atai from Gath and his people with their children marched on. All the people cried loudly as everyone passed by. 
King David crossed the Kidron Valley, and then all the people went on to the desert. Zadok and all the Levites were with him carried the Ark of the Agreement with God. They set it down, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had left the city. The king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back into the city. If the Lord is pleased with me, he will bring me back, and he will let me see both it and Jerusalem again. But if the Lord says he is not pleased with me, then I am ready. He can do what he wants with me. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Aren't you a seer? Go back to the city in peace and take your son Ahimaaz and Abathar's son Jonathan with you. I will wait near the crossings into the desert until I hear from you. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. David went up to the Mount of Olives, crying as he went. He covered his head and went barefoot. All the people with David covered their heads and also and cried as they went. Someone told David, Ahithophel is one of the people with Absalom who made secret plans against you. So David prayed, Lord, please make Ahithophel's advice foolish. When David reached the top of the mountain where the people used to worship God, Hushai the archite came to meet him. Hushai's coat was torn and there was dirt on his head to show how sad he was. David said to Hushai, If you go with me, you will be just one more person for me to take care of. But if you return to the city, you can make Ahithophel's advice useless. Tell Absalom, I am your servant, my king. In the past I served your father, but now I will serve you. The priests Zadok and Abathar will be with you. Tell them everything you hear in the royal palace. Zadok's son Ahimez and Abathar's son Jonathan are with them. Send them to tell me everything you hear. So David's friend Hushai entered Jerusalem just as Absalom arrived. All right. What else is going on in Israel? <laughs> drama. Drama. <clears throat> what kind of drama? Family <clears throat> drama. Yep. David's sons. Yep. What does this tell you about what's going on amongst the people when Absalom, and first of all, what does it mean that Absalom was sitting at the city gates? What does that mean? Is that where the, the judges used to sit? Yep and uh, help them with their issues and problems. Pretty much all of the, the city business is done, or government business is done at the city gates. And so what you'd have is <clears throat> essentially, you know, it's kind of a representation here. You have a city. The city is almost always surrounded by walls in the um, first millennium BC. You have a gate. And typically what you'd have <laughs> is kind of a double gate structure, really. What you'd have is city with the wall, and you'd have a gate, and then you'd have this kind of courtyard kind of in between the outside world and, and truly the center of the city itself. It's in this region here that most of the business of the city is conducted. Um, <coughs> merchants are trading their goods. Uh, of course, people are coming and going from the city. Um, <coughs> tax collectors would be there. Um, the army would be stationed there for, for control of the population and, and defense of the city. And the officials of the government would sit there and conduct government business. And one of the big things they would do is settle disputes. So today, if you have a dispute, um, typically uh, uh, you know, civil or, or otherwise, you go to city hall, right? Or, or kind of you think of it like that. That's where the judges are. Uh, typically you go to the seat of government where the judges sit and they decide cases. Well, this is city hall in antiquity. And so... <laughs> Typically, in the morning or evening, when it's cool and the people are out and about, um, they're sitting there and they're judging things. What does this tell you? If Absalom 
is sitting there doing this for at least four years, ignore the 40 text, if at least for four years, what does that tell you is going on right now? David has lost touch with the people. David out of touch. What else does it imply to you? <coughs> Absalom has the long game in mind. David's son, he's looking to take, take over. You know, if Absalom was trustworthy, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a bad thing for David to have his son doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we know about David, though? Where does he tend to see his sons? What kind of light does he see his sons? <laughs> Better than what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I found it interesting as we're reading through this, and th- granted, this is just the account of the writer of the book of Samuel, but... Yep. We don't have any account of David going to God saying, what do you want me to do? You know, it, I mean, it's, we're halfway through this chapter before um, he approaches the Lord and, and mm-hmm. kind of just says, you know, if you, it's your will kind of thing. But at no point did he really reach out and say, God, what should I be doing? He, he used just, to. He, right, he used to. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden he made the decision he should run. Well, maybe if he'd reached out to God, God wouldn't have had him run. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. I make the case a couple weeks ago. Um, I tend to highlight my text where God is speaking. And so if you go back to 1 Samuel here, let me see if I can find it here. So find a good chunk. You know, in general, I highlight where God is speaking. So this is essentially where people are going to God, and God is giving his direction, either to the kings or to the prophets, the wise men. As you can see in the beginning, 1 Samuel, this is in the early part of the history. There's a lot of God's counsel going on here. Um, But as you get further and further and further away, um, you'll find that there's a lack of it. Um, there's a lack of God speaking, and that is, that is twofold. That is a lack of people seeking his counsel and a lack of him giving it. <clears throat> what does it tell you if Absalom is doing a really good job and the people are loving this? What is that telling you about the people of this period? They're hungry for a leader. <sighs> Why would they be hungry for a leader? Well, they need direction. They- I mean, people people look to the leaders for direction, yeah. for guidance. Um, we <coughs> leaders are the ones that set the tone, pace, and direction of where we're going. And really, he's supposed to be a mediator um, between the people and God. And when they see the leader, they they think of God. And you know, Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And uh, when you have a king that decides not to go in battle, well, Bathsheba happens. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I think he's getting comfortable. Um, you know, he's he has done a lot. <coughs> in, in, you know, a lot of he's done a lot of fighting, and maybe he feels that there he can just kind of sit back and relax for a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're, I think they're losing trust in David too because they're yeah. seeing all this stuff going on, and it, you're you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard mm-hmm. place there because. Absalom, I don't know, he's not necessarily next in line, but I, I suppose he probably is at this point. <coughs> um, 
so that he's the only legitimate hope they have, I guess, mm -hmm. to be the leader is somebody in the line. Mm -hmm. I feel like it shows how short people's memories are. Yeah. I mean, David has made your country prosperous, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he pretty much single-handedly has unified <laughs> yeah. you, and they've already forgotten that. Like, you know, I, we have the same way, too, mm -hmm. but it's just like, oh, there, here's a new <coughs> shiny thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. like, let's forget all about what David's done and we'll go to. It can go both ways. I agree with that. I see the how, in one case, people are like, oh, well, what have you done for me today? Right? Mm -hmm. Even though David has done all this, there's also people that haven't forgotten what he's done. And remember, there's people still alive that probably remember Saul and all of that turmoil. There was a lot of people who supported Saul. <laughs> And when uh, Saul lost his life on the battlefield, what happened for a few years? Did everything just kind of magically, you know, get transferred to David? What happened? Saul's sons kind of stepped in. There's a lot of civil, there was civil war. And there was the house of Saul that was essentially fighting the house of David and all of the supporters. And over time, the, the, the heirs of Saul's kingdom were murdered. And a lot of people blame David for that. And David, of course, according to the author of First and Second Samuel, was abhorrent of that. He did not condone that, but it happened nonetheless. And a lot of people pinned that on David, and and said, "You're the reason why this is this is happening." We we thought Saul and his line was going to be the one to rule us. So yeah, I do think it goes both ways. So that's where we're at. Seems as David is more on the putting out fires, yeah. kind of a reactive leadership yeah. instead of proactive. I like that. <coughs> I like that. He's not really engaged until something happens. And yep. uh, you know, part of his reasoning to leave the city may have also been um, a concern for the city and not yeah. wanting this rebellion. I mean, he could have put the rebellion down or attempted yeah. to, mm -hmm. but again, it's his son. He, wants, mm -hmm. he probably didn't want to kill his son, yeah. and he didn't want Jerusalem to be the battlefield. So by him leaving temporarily, I mean, he didn't leave permanently. Mm -hmm. He left his concubines there, mm -hmm. clear message that he was still intending to come That's back. That's good. I like that. Yep. By leaving his concubines, and remember... Look, I'm not, I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying the way it was. Concubines were property in antiquity. Um, women who were meant to serve the king's sexual needs whenever he wanted them, um, which is itself something that God is not very happy with, we know. Um, but he leaves them there, but he doesn't leave his army there. Why didn't he leave his army in Jerusalem? For probably obvious reasons. Well, that would be a fight then. There would be a fight. And as we know in antiquity, um, you know, bless the United States, you know, military for trying to not kill civilians. This is antiquity. What would have happened if Absalom would have marched on Jerusalem? It's a disaster. Disaster. Anyone in the city who even had a breath of supporting David would have been murdered and their family and all their stuff taken. <clears throat> David, no, I, th I agree with you, Steve. I think David knows this. But by leaving the concubines, I think you make a great point. He's still saying he's in charge. He's left his property there. He's left his, his, his stuff there to say, I'm still the guy in charge, but I think he's doing it in a nonviolent way to not stir it up too much. <clears throat> well, he didn't want Absalom killed, and then when his hair got caught in that tree branch, go ahead, done it anyway. You're giving it away, Lord. No, we it. can't say that yet. <laughs> what? I, I don't know how this ends. Uh, Since you're giving it away. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking, sweetheart. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Does David know at this point that 
God wants Solomon to be king? You tell me. That's what I, well, because I missed mm -hmm. last time. Yeah. So I was like, I know. Yeah, tell me. That's a good point. I mean, he probably doesn't. Who does he think is going to be in charge? <clears throat> he does know that God told him to name mm -hmm. Solomon Jedediah, which means that the Lord loves mm -hmm. me, basically. Mm -hmm. So I guess he has that hint. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe he thinks that Absalom will be the king. So mm -hmm. See, I, I don't know. You know. Look at where Absalom is in the order, in the pecking order. Um, he's like third? He's third. <clears throat> the first one's dead. We know he's been killed. The second one has probably died in childhood. So Absalom probably is the presumed leader here. What? <laughs> if Absalom is the presumed leader, then, because you make a good question, why is he going to all this trouble? Speed up the process. Yeah, he's okay. happy with how David's ruling mm -hmm. and thinks something needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Previous king didn't just handed down to his son. Didn't have him that way. So I think, I think also, what you're, yeah. He's also descend, his mother is the daughter of a king. Mm -hmm. So I think he definitely has the, you know, he wants to make, and I, I'm sure, you know, there's how many sons? I mean, this is a very is contentious household and they all have like different mothers and, you know, we know from Israel, like, he had four wives, and all their children were contentious with each other, like trying to see who would be, you know, best. And who who knows the story of Richard the Third of England, and the and the uh, and the uh, two kids in the tower? Have you heard of that story? Okay, well, look, if you've ever read <laughs> about any monarchy that's ever existed on the planet Earth, how often is it that the presumed heir just gets handed the keys to the kingdom? Here you go, fine, sir. Uh, you can take it all because it's all yours. How often does that happen in a peaceful and orderly way? <clears throat> About 0%, less than 0% of the time. How often do people contend for the throne? Look, you have people that are all saying, whoa, 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 my dad's David too. And I have a, I have a legitimate reason here. And they're all being pampered. And they're all being brought up to think that they're, they're very special people. Um, in, in, in mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> if you aren't the person who sees this power, the rest of you get killed, kind of, to stop the. <laughs> what happened to the sons of Saul? Yeah. They all got killed. You're like, <clears throat> if I'm not the king, guess what's going to happen to me? I'm not going to get, you know, my my trust fund to get to sit in uh, in the Greek Isles the rest of my life. No, that doesn't happen. Gideon, hmm? his son killed all the other sons, so yeah. that he could be the next king. Mm -hmm. You know, Even it's Samuel's not a, kids were. Mess. Yeah, this is this is the way it works, folks. And so I think you see here that even though he is the presumed heir, uh, there's no there's no promise here. There's no promise, and and uh, and who knows what what you know Absalom's brothers are up to. If Absalom is this lowly, what are his other sons like? You know, they're also conspiring potentially for what's going on. So it's it's a very contentious situation. Uh, it's a tinderbox and and a match is being lit here. Pretty much the uh, pretty much the way I handle my life. I recognize that okay. God's got bigger and better plans than I do. Okay. For me. And yet I go let me grab up what I can for myself. Mm-hmm. You know? Instead of wait and see question. type of thing. I wonder if David um, 
also because of his sin that yeah. he had previously. He knew this. His son, his yeah. sons were going to. Some things were going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, they're happening. Mm -hmm. And except he said him going to God to saying, mm -hmm. "Hey, I know I messed up. I want to make things right." Mm -hmm. It just seems like he's going through the motions and yeah. letting them happen. And if we when we read chapter sixteen, I think what Tim is saying is going to make perfect sense. Um, we know David, and look. I know a lot of people want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's a very godly man. He is. Um, and you want to see him through rose-colored goggles. And to cer a certain extent, he is. He is a very righteous, noble man. And I do believe part of him is, is like what Tim is saying, that he's like accepting what Nathan has predicted, what God has said will happen, and now what evidence is, is coming true, that there is price to pay for David's sin. Um, and so, rather than just fighting back, um, he might be accepting some of that in a penitent way. Well, with his firstborn being gone, yeah, now he, now it's kind of on him to make a decision out of the other sixteen or whatever. Yeah. to who's going to be in power next? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want that. Mm -hmm. You're my favorite. No. Look at your own kids, you know. Right, right. I like that. All right. I got a question. Is Absalom David's oldest son? No. He is his third son, at least, that we know of. But the other two are dead. So he is the oldest living son at this point, we think. The reason I ask is because if he was the oldest, he might feel responsible to, to take over and do what he shouldn't. Who was Absalom's mom? <clears throat> Well, he goes and flees to oh, the king. I forget who it is. Let's see what I wrote here. Micah. So, Hinoam, Abigail, Micah. Micah was Saul's daughter, right? Micah? <clears throat> Micah. I think he oh, was no, Michelle. no, no. That's 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 Michelle. Um, this is this is a foreign king. This is a separate king of a different land. Uh, so Gesher. yeah, you can see the political intrigue here too. <clears throat> right? It was the king of Gesher. Gesher, okay. I think. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Michael didn't have any children right. from David. So. All right. Let's go ahead and read 16. We're going to do the whole thing. All right. For those of you who are worried, this is TVMA. So you might want to close your ears now. 1 to 23, I'm joking. 1 to 23, who would like to read that for me? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I can read that. Thank you, ma'am. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? <coughs> Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. 
I humbly bowed and I said, May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. <clears throat> as King David approached Bahiram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came, came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. <laughs> but the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My, my son, my own flesh and blood, is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. Then Hushai, the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, So this is the love you show your friend. If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, and by all the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. <clears throat> that was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Well, what do you think? Shocking. Well, Absalom thinks it's his now. Mm-hmm. But he has not been anointed that we know. Even if he thought he was yeah. anointed, this is an extremely drastic step oh, yeah. <clears throat> to do. Who's the priest? Is it Nathan? Is uh Yeah. There's two. Yep. So So where is he in all this? Uh he's a prophet. So Nathan is the prophet. prophet. Um uh Ahimelech and Zadok are the high priests. They're sharing it. He is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Tell me what that says wow. to you. 
<laughs> Should be a soap so, opera. Days of our lives. <laughs> days of our lives. Say that again. <laughs> this guy, the counselor of David, Ahithophel, the Gilanite, is Bathsheba's <clears throat> grandfather. <clears throat> So you never hear of Absalom going to God. I think he pretty much knows what God's going <coughs> to say to him. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't care. But God's not going to condone any of this. Well, doing. God, he so Absalom says God came to him. Absalom says that God's already said that you know go to Hebron and that's where you're going to do your your sacrifices and this and that. But we don't have textual evidence of the author of Samuel proving it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love how in the last <coughs> verse. You know, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done for every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God as if God would tell someone to go sleep with their father's concubines In what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah. what does that tell you? like what a demented yes. view yeah. but it, that shows God intervening there because mm -hmm. David had just prayed mm -hmm. make his advice foolish mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know I don't think anybody would tell him I don't think God told you that because you're gone once you say that. Can't say that, right? You you can and mm -hmm. you should. Yes. But people won't. And Nathan prophesied <coughs> yes. that David's son would sleep with his you know, wives or women or whatever, mm -hmm. and so this fulfilled that prophecy. Look at Nathan, boy. Nathan's stock is going up right now, right, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Mephibosheth, man, that guy, he turned real quick. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. I want to make sure that we know what's about to happen here. Ziba comes walking out of the desert with all this stuff for the king. Where's your, where's your master? Oh, he stayed back in Jerusalem because he hates you and he wants to usurp your throne, but I'm on your side, bro. Now, bless David's heart for this. Bless David's heart for this. How many times have we seen hearsay be taken as evidence and people have acted on it? How likely is it that Mephibosheth has done this? How likely is it that Mephibosheth is actually a traitor here? Well, I'll tell you what I think. It's 50-50. It's 50-50. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But I don't have Mephibosheth here. I don't know anything. This is like, you know, I read all these classic hard-boiled novels from the 1930s, you know, um, Deshiel Hammett and, uh, and uh, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, Philip Marlowe mysteries and that kind of thing. And, and, and time and again, someone will come to the detective and say something. And then they'll be like, so, don't you trust me? What are you going to do about it? And the, and, and the detective will say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it because I don't know if what you're saying is true or not. I don't know anything. I don't know anything until I have proof that what you said is true. That is exactly what's happening here. Now, David apparently is taken by this. He's like, oh yeah, you're right, Ziba here. You know, you get everything that's Mephibosheth's. I refer you to, I think, it's 19. 1924, 2 Samuel 1924. We won't get into that today, you'll have to wait for that. But things may not be as they seem here. Follow the money. Ah. ah. Follow the money and follow the what? Sorry. Yeah. That's something else. 
follow the who who gains who gains money who gains their life right people are taking sides right here and uh, and there's all kinds of conspiracies here we go we'll say drama we'll say conspiracies okay what else is happening here this is guy coming out throwing curses at him hey, hey. rocks <laughs> You know, I just thought of uh, the New Testament and, and Paul when he's on his journey and he's got this woman behind him, you know. Yeah. It took Paul about three <laughs> seconds to turn around and give it to her. <laughs> Bless Paul's heart. David is not Paul. <laughs> David has a lot more patience here. I found that pretty weird, though. Yeah. I'm almost unsettling. Like, okay. Like, he's, he's I, what I read into that was he is utterly ashamed of his place now. Yep. That he can't respond yep. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That he's just at a loss for, you know, whether he recognizes because he hasn't been consulting God and things or not. But he's in a position now where he can't even he can't even recognize who's against him anymore. That's kind of it. That's kind of it. It seems to suggest, I think what maybe Steve had said earlier, that or maybe it was Tim that I, I do think there's evidence of a repentant, penitent heart on the, on the part of David. David is, is kind of telling us, at least the author is telling us, that David seems to be looking at this as some kind of, well, I kind of expected this. I kind of expected this kind of crap to happen, and he's not going to fight him. Another thing is, what did he not do? <laughs> he's still unwilling to kill the guy. He's still unwilling to kill members of the clan or family of Saul. I think that says a lot about David, the kind of man he is. I mean, it would go both ways here. Could have had him killed. Shut up. It wouldn't have even made it into this text, honestly, if he had done that. But we have evidence that it, he just let him go. He's accepting, potentially accepting what's happening here. What else? Oh, by the way, cursing the king is forbidden in Exodus 22. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? (laughs) We don't have a king. (laughs) I like it. You do have a king. Oh, yeah. You do have a king. How many times does he get cursed? I think we forget about that, too. Say it again? I think we forget about yeah. who our true king is. And who am I talking about? Well, you're talking about God. Jesus. It, it's so easy to get yep. sidetracked mm-hmm. and distracted. Yep. You know, 27 executive orders later, here we are, and we put our trust, faith, and hope in the wrong place. Yep. And it's mm. it's not going to work. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus is already one, and we just got to put our faith, hope, and trust in him, and then yeah. everything else is just going to work itself out. Yeah. And I think David's realizing that. I mean, he, he's not going to kill that, that guy that's cursing him because he's like, yep, I already know. So I already know. That's I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's no denying it. And killing him would not change that fact. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, um, Saul's family. And I think there's a there's a part of him that's like, just ex- like you said, accepting, this is my discipline. God is punishing me. And so, really, in those moments, it's mm-hmm. it's not. There is no comfort in yeah. that. 
but there is comfort knowing that since I am being disciplined, I am God's son. So and there's a verse somewhere in the New Testament that says that it's not pleasant at the time, but God loves you and you need to go through this in order to be restored. And God continually promises that there is restoration. Oof. Come back to me. So either we can, we can accept it and move forward and yep. make better choices. So take comfort in God's discipline, even though it sucks. God promises restoration for those who repent, for those who return to him. And killing those people who have those words of truth. Yeah. It doesn't get rid of the truth. Hey, there. look. Just because Facebook and Twitter and, and, and every news media outlet takes truth and twists it around and turns it completely <coughs> opposite and says truth is the lie, this is not a new thing, folks. This is not a new thing. This has been going on since the dawn of human history where people who have a, a bitter... How do I say this? A bitter motive against truth will twist truth and say truth is the lie. That has been going on since the beginning of time. But God says there is truth and he promises restoration for those who repent. And for those who destroy truth, you have the option for repentance until the day you die. You have the option to repent of your ways until the day you die. A lot of grace, if you ask me. I believe it's in Psalms. And I believe it's David that said that God walks with the contrite and lowly. Mm. The first time I heard that was years ago, and I was mm-hmm. in a situation where I would I've been dishonest about kind of a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I heard that, and I had to I had to look up what contrite meant because I didn't really know what contrite meant. Mm. And it basically the definition that I took in and mm-hmm. said this is what it means to me is. The continual, um, continually recognizing how I've grieved the heart of God. Ooh, okay. And I think that's kind of what David <clears throat> is showing here. Is I mean, Nathan said all this stuff was. He said all this stuff was going to happen with his kids and all that. And he's kind of to the point with with this guy that was throwing rocks and stuff at him. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, man, eh, it's not, not really on me to kill this mm-hmm. guy because. I've grieved God's heart, mm-hmm. and now he's finally I mean, making a decision here to, to not mm-hmm. act out of that, mm. not add to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. David's on the run. David's old. David's, I'm sure he's hangry. <laughs> he hasn't eaten. It's hot. First thing he's going to want to do is cut that guy's head off. It's a lot of strength not to do that. He was on the run before. A long time. <laughs> a lot of his life. A lot of his life. What else? What, what other lessons are we drawing from this? <laughs> he is very good. David is very good about peer pressure. Ah. He always stands ah, up against it. Yes. You know, these sons of Zerua, they're always causing him trouble. They're killing yep. you know, people from Saul that he's told them not to. You know, here... You know, I'm sure when people are throwing rocks at you and dirt and you're they're cursing you, your heart wants to mm-hmm. like retaliate. That's your natural natural mm-hmm. instinct. You want to retaliate. Mm-hmm. But he's going against his nat- mm-hmm. natural instinct because he knows that's not what God wants him to mm-hmm. do. 
But then he's got people pressuring him. Mm-hmm. Hey, go kill this. You know, I'll not even you do it. I'll go kill him mm-hmm. for you. You don't even have to do anything. His own people, his own advisors are advising him to kill him. And think of it from David's perspective too. In antiquity, it was completely unheard of for someone to walk by the king himself and be like, "You suck, you suck. We're all going to kill you. You're going to die." What would happen if he kept doing that? What would happen from a human perspective if that kept going? How does David look? Weak, very weak. weak. Absolutely will kill him. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like David doesn't even want to be king. Mm. Maybe just the fact that this mm. guy had the, the cojones mm. enough mm-hmm. to be doing that. <laughs> David might have thought, well, if this guy's willing to take his life in his mm-hmm. own hands and, and say these things, maybe God is telling him to do that. And who would I be if I were to kill him? That's an excellent... I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. Well, look at all the people who don't have cojones to stand up to um, Absalom. They're just letting it go. It takes a lot of cojones to stand up. Look at Nathan. Nathan stood up to him. If one of David's uh, men would have just killed that guy throwing stuff on him, um, David probably would have killed his man because yep. he said, I didn't tell you to do that. Don't do that. And we know that that has happened yep. through the text. Yep. Which is probably why they didn't kill him. Exactly. Like, oh, geez, we know this guy. Don't you do it, right? I'll do it. get the green light. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. Well, I think that's good. Uh, any final thoughts today? Anything uh, you're going to take away from this that we haven't talked about? We're kind of in the middle of it. I know that we, you know, we could probably read 17 here, but um, uh, we'll wait for that. We'll wait for next week for that. What's this about Absalom's hair getting caught in something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He had long, luxurious locks. They weighed 20 shekels. I think there's a, something to be learned about, like, you know, a hit the pole or whatever, mm-hmm. how, they, I think how they thought his advice was as reliable as God's own word. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, I think we have the tendency to put our trust in yeah. people and yeah. our faith in people, and people always let us down. Mm-hmm. Even if you're, you know, I think Dan had an example a couple weeks ago about a preacher that he really admired, and then he found out things about him recently and um, I think it's a lesson to never put your faith in anything other than God. And I am going to 100% say always take what someone has told you and ask yourself if it makes sense and you think this is true. Never give yourself over to, well, this person is trustworthy. He seems to write, or she seems to write a lot of really smart stuff. I'm going to believe everything that they say. This is human behavior, folks, and you're going to do it without even realizing you're doing it. At some level, you will put your complete and total trust in someone and what they say. And then the opposite of that is when they say something that's full of crap or do something that's egregious, you'll brush it off. Well, he was under a lot of pressure, and I, you know, strain of the office or blah, 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 this and that. He's just really misunderstood. No. No. They were full of blank. No human you will ever meet is 100% right. 
um, you know, present company, company included in that. <laughs> Nothing, there's never gonna be a human being on this earth that says 100% of what they say is right and 100% of what they do is right. You have to analyze every single thing that someone says and does against your own understanding of what right and wrong is. At the end of the day, and I continue to say this, read your Bible every single day. Read it. Even if you're just reading a passage or a sentence or a verse, a song, read something from the Bible every day. Why? Because this is your truth, folks, and everything that ever happens or you hear in your life has to come back to, is this the word of God or not? Does this fit with what the word of God is? This is like the, the advisor to David. For the love of everything good, the minute he said you should go sleep with David's concubines, every single person in that room should have said, eh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's, let's have a chat about that. Let's go talk over here about that. But they didn't. Oh yeah, you're great. Everything you say is great. So I'm going to just believe it. No, it doesn't mean that you have to be like me and be cynical all the time <laughs> and, reje and, and reject everything that someone says before you can prove it. You shouldn't be that bad. But, uh, but, but you should certainly take everything with a grain of salt and analyze whether it makes sense or not. David did that. At least a lot of the time he did that. His own advisors, his best friends were telling him to do one thing, and he would think in his mind, does this make sense? Often he would say, no, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't make sense. So let's put it in a, today's perspective. So God hates divorce. Everybody can yep. pretty much agree to that. So in order to cut down on the amount of divorces, we should really live together and try things out first to make sure we're compatible Love before mm -hmm. moving forward with this. Mm -hmm. you know, it would make God happy. Mm -hmm. Solid advice right there, man. <laughs> <coughs> I believe everything Steve Kirk said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at you two. <laughs> Car's always clean on Sunday morning, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I did wash it on Friday. And didn't drive it yesterday. Let it dry. It's white, so it doesn't show the dirt as well. <laughs> okay. Nope. Fair. Very fair. Um, well, thanks for joining us. I guess maybe we'll leave a few minutes early today. Second Samuel is not as long as First Samuel. We're coming to the end here. Um, let's see how many exactly we have. We've got 24 chapters. So you can kind of see where all this is going. Um, I think, you know, as we go through the next few chapters, just keep in mind, David is human. Um, he's trying. Sometimes he's trying his best. Sometimes he isn't. And I think, too, this idea that he's kind of letting whatever happens happen is, is a good lesson for us. I think, you know, at some level, David could have said to himself, I'm the reason why Israel is so awesome right now. I'm the one that fought all these battles. I'm the one that won. I'm the one that out-competed my competition and survived. I'm the one that needs to fix everything. That's another lesson I think we need to take from this. In some ways, I see David saying, no, it's not my job to fix everything. Yeah, you can blame me for all the problems. You can blame me for lack of leadership and for letting my son um, continue to foment rebellion and um, <clears throat> for... Uh, allowing people to deceive me and this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, what did God promise to David? What did God promise to David? Somebody will be sitting on his throne. In his line will be sitting on the throne. You know, I, you have to hear, what, what has God said to me? God said, my house 
is going to live for what? Ever. Ever. Not just like for a long time, like for all time. <laughs> and to drive that point home, he said, guess what? You're not going to build my house. You're not going to build my temple. Why? That's, your son's going to do that. You are going to have a house that is eternal. It's not going to be made of stone and brick and wood. It will be made of a, a line of people, a line of descendants that will rule forever. And one of your sons will be the Messiah, will be the everlasting savior of your people. That alone, if you're David, you're like, you know what? It doesn't, it, in some ways, it doesn't matter what I do to try and fix this. Because God is in control, not me. And it's so easy. I think the very first thing, God has plans, but we want control. Guess what? We're really good at screwing up God's, <laughs> trying to screw up God's plans. Oh no, I need to take accountability for all this and I need to fix everything. Well, guess what? At some level, you just need to chill. You just need to chill. God is letting all of this happen. Yes. Yes. And kind of in like a weird way, the fact that this is happening it's fulfilling the prophecy mm -hmm. that Nathan said. So you can take, like David can take comfort in the fact that like, yeah. God is in control. He said this was gonna happen, it is mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of a comforting thing at the same time and then it's a really crappy mm -hmm. thing at the same time, you know? Yeah, just because something's prophesied doesn't mean it pleases God. It ah. doesn't mean it's his, his blessing. There it it just means he's telling you mm -hmm. it's gonna happen. Oh, look at the book of Revelation. My favorite book in the Bible. It's not. Really? Revelation is, um, you know, 48 pages of hell and one page of what? We win. We win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>